welcome to my mommy's podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Wellness. That's wellness with an E on the end. It's a new company that I co-founded to tackle the toughest personal care products and to create natural and safe products that work as well as conventional alternatives. See, this is what happened. I realized that even the most naturally minded of my friends were still using certain conventional toothpaste and shampoo because they weren't willing to sacrifice quality. They just weren't willing to have teeth that weren't white or hair that wasn't clean. There are natural options out there, certainly, and there are conventional options that work really well. But to find products that do both was almost impossible. And thus, Wellness was born. I realized that there had to be a way to create the highest quality products that also worked as well as any conventional alternative. And we tackled the toughest first, creating the first and only natural toothpaste that is fluoride and glycerin free. It's based on my DIY recipe that I have been using for a decade. It contains calcium and hydroxyapatite to uniquely support the mineral balance in the mouth. It also contains things like neem oil and green tea to support a healthy bacterial balance and oral microbiome and to fight bad breath. You can be the first to try it for you and your family and to try our innovative natural hair care shampoo and conditioner at wellness.com. So again, it's wellness with an E on the end, W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S-E.com. This podcast is sponsored by The Ready State. If you're at all like me, you might have perpetual stiffness and pain in your neck and shoulders from years of working, carrying kids, and all of the demands of parenting. Or maybe like me as well, also, you have sore hips from too much sitting or from several pregnancies. I have found a great way to relieve my aches and pains and to get some daily movement and improve my fitness and flexibility. And it's from someone I highly, highly respect. Dr. Kelly Starrett, and he's from The Ready State. If you don't know Kelly, you should. He is a mobility and movement coach for Olympic gold medalists, world champions, and pro athletes. He's the author of two New York Times bestselling books, including the famous Becoming a Supple Leopard, which has sold over half a million copies. He has over 150,000 hours of hands-on experience training athletes at the highest level, and he's a doctor of physical therapy who helps top companies, military organizations, and universities improve their wellness and resilience with their team members. So to say he's highly qualified would be the understatement of the century. He created a program called Virtual Mobility Coach. This program is easy to do from home every day, making it ideal for me and for a lot of moms, and it's something I can do with my kids. Every day, Virtual Mobility Coach gives you a fresh guided exercise video. They show you proven techniques to help your specific issues that you have going on. If you're in pain, you can pull up a picture of the human body, click on what hurts, and from there, the Virtual Mobility Coach will give you a customized prescription to help you find relief based on movement. Second, you can find a library of soothing recovery routines in the daily maintenance section. And these are great for just working in movement throughout the day or as a wind down to practice self-care. And third, for athletes, Virtual Mobility Coach has an entire section of pre and post exercise routines for more than four dozen sports and activities that help you warm up before a workout so that there's a lower risk of injury or recover after so that you are less stiff. Right now, you can try Virtual Mobility Coach totally risk-free for two weeks without paying a penny. After that, you can save 50% on your first three months. Just go to thereadystate.com forward slash wellnessmama and use the code wellnessmama, all one word, all uppercase at checkout. So again, that's the T-H-E, ready, R-E-A-D-Y, state, S-T-A-T-E dot com forward slash wellnessmama. And you can save half off your first three months when you sign up for a monthly plan. 
you'll get personalized techniques to relieve nagging pain and to improve your fitness and flexibility. So again, check it out, thereadystate.com forward slash wellnessmama and sign up with the code wellnessmama. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com and this episode has some really fascinating, easy to implement practical tips that can benefit posture, core strength, even sensory issues and attention and focus in kids and lower back pain in adults. And the best part is today's guest has created a solution to these problems that he is sharing uh, as an open source project so that you can make it at essentially almost no cost at home. I'm here with Dr. Turner Osler, who is the CEO and founder of QOR360. He's a retired academic trauma sergeant academic trauma surgeon, excuse me, turned research epidemiologist who has published over 300 peer-reviewed medical papers and book chapters. He definitely knows this topic. As a physician who suffered from the tyranny of conventional chairs for most of his life, his quest for a healthier way to sit led him to develop the Red Rocker, which is a new geometric solid type of device, the eccentric bicylinder, and uh, also these active seating products that we're going to talk about today, including one that can be used for kids and adults called button chairs. So without further ado, I I know that you're going to really enjoy this episode. And I hope that as parents and those of us that are also educators, we can start implementing some of his practical solutions in our day-to-day lives. So let's join Dr. Turner Osler. Dr. Osler, welcome. Thanks for being here. Well, I'm delighted to be here, Katie. Well, I am so excited to go deep on a topic that I think is really, really important today. And I know that you think it's super important as well. And to, to jump in, I think we let's start broad and then kind of narrow down. So we've all probably heard that, you know, sitting is the new smoking and there's all these things about why we shouldn't be sitting as much. And certainly as Americans, at least we tend to sit more than we should. Um, but explain to us from your really vast knowledge base on this topic, what is the science of sitting when it comes to this? And is it as bad as we think? Well, you know, it's not just as bad as we think, it's probably worse. The catchphrase these days is sitting is the new smoking, which is truer than you might think. I mean, it's a pretty exact analogy. For uh, most of the 20th century, people thought smoking was normal um, because everybody smoked and how could it be a problem? Even physicians were kind of sucked into thinking smoking was kind of a normal human activity. And it wasn't until um, you know, the spell was broken by research and statistical analysis that showed that smoking was terrible for people. It not only caused lung cancer, but emphysema and heart disease and was one of the leading cause of amputation, you know, well, second after diabetes. So you know, smoking was a catastrophe for humans that was just hiding in plain sight. People couldn't see it because they thought it was normal. Fortunately, we've gotten beyond the whole smoking catastrophe. But now it turns out that sitting is really bad for people, but it's the same story again. You know, people think sitting is what everyone does because chairs are everybody and are everywhere and people spend most of their day sitting. So how could it be a problem? Because it just seems normal. Yeah, exactly. And I think I I don't remember the exact statistics off the top of my head, but especially for Americans, sitting is very much the norm. And it's kind of really drastic and scary how sedentary we are as a population. Right. And it's and it's 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 huge. The average American spends eight hours a day sitting. You know, how is that even possible? Well, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, the car on the way to work, um, you know, sitting at the PC at work, sitting at the PC at home, watching. Te- and it's bedtime. People spend most of their waking hours sitting. But sitting is a profoundly unnatural thing for our species that for the last three million years were hunter gatherers. You know, we were 
out chasing rabbits and running from jackals. And when we all suddenly sat down about 100 years ago, you know, it was a, a vast science fair project that's, that's really gone very badly for us. You know, we have these uh, increased rates of obesity and hypertension and diabetes and heart disease. You know, uh, the, the business of sitting in a sedentary way has had catastrophic consequences for people's health and well-being. But because it kind of crept up on us, we're only just now being able to see the, the horror of the situation through the you know, clear lens of, of medical research and epidemiology. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's an important point to underline. Like you mentioned, up to eight hours a day, which is an, a lot of time to sit. And what was interesting about this, I think this is also a thing that uh, at least a lot of us as Americans tend to do is like, okay, well, then we should just counteract that by moving. Like, let's do as much movement as possible in a short amount of time, like exercise. And of course, I'm not going to downplay the importance of regular exercise. It is very, very important. But I think there's a misconception that we can undo the damage of sitting just by going to the gym every day. Right. And, and that, that came as a surprise to even epidemiologists because, you know, it seems logical that, you know, if sitting is bad, then moving is good. And if you could get a whole lot of moving in in a hurry, that would be terrific. But it turns out that doing cardio at the gym is good. And, you know, an, an, you know, an, an hour of panting and sweating is terrific for your cardiovascular system. But the, the, the real downside of sitting is that the mere act of being sedentary takes a toll on us. And that toll is not undone by going to the gym and exercising vigorously. You know, it's, it's counterintuitive, but it's very clear in the epidemiologic research that it is sitting still per se that is the problem. Yeah, exactly. I don't remember the exact number of the statistics, but I know that when they did the research, it was really surprising because all these people who worked out regularly and they met all these exercise standards for how often they should be working out and they it was more than four days a week and it was the recommended amount of time and they met all these guidelines. And still compared to the control, it wasn't actually much better because it turns out it, you need more than just an hour even of active movement per day. We Basically, this is something that we need to incorporate into our lives. And the other reaction that happened when, you know, sitting became the new smoking, there was this, okay, so let's just all get standing desk and we'll stand all day long and we'll just do that instead. And I know you can speak to this much better than I could, but it turns out just standing isn't the answer either, is it? Yeah, no. Um, so standing desks, um, you know, kind of took off because really without any research behind them, because it seemed like such an obvious answer, you know, if sitting is bad then standing must be good because standing is the opposite of sitting, right? Well, it turns out that that's not right. You know, standing may be the linguistic opposite of sitting, but it's not the physiologic opposite of sitting. The, the physiologic opposite of sitting still is moving. And when you look at people at standing desks, you know, typically they're not doing Tai Chi. You know, they lock a hip and they lean on the desk and they're, they're just as immobile as they ever were sitting slumped in a chair. Arguably, it's worse to be at a standing desk for a couple of reasons. One is that when you're standing, you have this column of blood that goes from your left atrium down to your ankle that dilates all the veins in your legs. And this sets people up for varicose veins, which in the last century were a huge problem for people who stood all day on assembly lines. And I know I have personal experience with this because as a general surgeon, I was like, you know, stripping out miles of saphenous veins from people who had ruined the, the venous uh, system in their legs. And, you know, it, 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 was, it was beyond reconstruction and just had to be removed. They were big, ugly operations. And, 
And um, I think we're going to be seeing varicose veins and surgery for varicose veins coming back if standing desks really catch on. So that's, that's one problem with standing desks is, is it's hard on people's veins. You know, you can walk and your muscles are contracting in your legs and squeezing blood out of the veins and things are fine. But if you stand still, the blood pools in the veins of your legs and stretches them and over years and decades can stretch them past the point where they can recover and now you need an operation. But an even more concerning thing uh, that was published in the American Journal of Epidemiology in 2018 by Smith et al. They followed 7,300 people for 10 years, half of them at sitting desks, half of them at standing desks. And those at the standing desk had twice the rate of heart disease. This came as quite a shock because you know, it was expected that standing would be better for people, but it turns out that it's worse for their hearts. And heart disease, all you need is a little heart attack and it can change your whole life. So, you know, the, the, uh, the, the problem with diving into standing desks was that nobody really carefully examined what the, what the repercussions might be. And really, the, the, early, the early research shows that standing desks are going to be a, a much, they're going to be part of the problem, not part of the solution. Yeah, I agree. It's really interesting because I think that's, like I said, I think that's just our default. I don't know if it's as Americans or just as humans. It's like, okay, this one thing is bad. Let's pivot and focus completely on this other thing. And we've done that now multiple times. And so, and we haven't gotten it right yet. So let's talk about what the the ideal scenario is. And I know I want to go in several directions with this, you know, for our kids, for us in a work environment, for our home environment. I think there's so much we can change and optimize, but explain just as humans and, and movement in general, what is an ideal scenario? Well, the ideal scenario is to just go back to being hunter-gatherers where, you know, you spend most of the day walking. You know, we're, we're as a species, we're unique in that we have an, an exercise requirement. You know, our, our kindred species, you know, bonobos and chimps and orangutans and gorillas are quite comfortable just sitting all day cracking nuts and eating them and then, you know, lumbering up into a tree and making a nest for the night. These species don't require exercise. But when humans took the fateful step, you know, from the bush out onto the savanna to become hunter-gatherers, you know, we adapted to the the lifestyle of a hunter-gatherer, which would involve five or 10 or 15 miles of walking in a day. This is what our systems have come to require and even rely on. Hippocrates, you know, famously observed two millennia ago that walking is man's best medicine. We're really designed to be an active species and moving all the time. Shockingly, when we sit down, none of that happens. Our muscles go dark and we get zero exercise. So what we really want is some way to sit that would let us be in constant motion, that would in some way recapitulate walking. And people have, you know, come up with the idea of, of treadmill desks. So you can like trudge along at a mile or two an hour all day long. But, you know, the, this hasn't proved very practical because your, your cubicle mates hate the noise and, and they're expensive and, uh, and it's very hard to handle a mouse while you're walking more than about a half a mile an hour. But what we want is to be moving while you're sitting. And it turns out that you can design a chair that lets people move while they're sitting, kind of using their own, just kind of burning off their own nervous energy to create enough activity to change their biochemistry for the better and improve their posture, improve their core strength many advantages that come with moving while you're sitting. That makes sense. And I feel like kids, we can learn from kids on this because they do it naturally. Like if you try to get a child to sit still in a chair, they don't like it and they're uncomfortable. And then over time we like learn to settle in and 
you know, arch our lower back and get in a horrible posture position and get used to that because we have to do it so much. But I feel like um, we can learn so much from kids and actually doing this correctly. But let's talk about this a little bit more too. Well, we kind of we kind of force this on kids, right? Because when they show up in first grade, they're just like dancing on a chair and they have to be, you know, told to sit still, which turns out to be terrible advice. You know, kids know what they need and they and what they need is to move. And when we, you know, force them to to sit still, um, you know, we, we do them a terrible disservice. And it, and it turns out that uh, older kids get the less they move. There's a, there's a terrific study that just came out in um, the Lancet Psychiatry uh, just this week, or just this uh, month, actually, where they, they look at kids and how much they move, and they move less and less and less as they go from being, you know, 14 to 16 to 18 years old. Um, you know, they're, they're, they, they put accelerometers on these kids just to see how much movement they were doing, and as they got older, they moved less and less and less. Very interestingly their rates of depression went up and up and up. So it turns out that this business of letting kids move has profound implications, not just for their posture and their strength and their overall health, but also for their psychiatric well-being. I mean, we're discovering just so much about how bad sedentary postures are for people and especially for kids. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, we're a little bit different because we homeschool, but I've seen this even in my kids and I try to do everything I can to preserve them wanting to move and actually have them sit as little as possible. That's one of the things we optimize for in homeschooling. But I know that this isn't um, necessarily an option in every school scenario, which is why I love what you're doing. I want to talk a little bit more about this too, because you've basically open sourced this and made this available to all children. Like, Unfortunately, in a lot of school situations for now, kids still are required to be in the same place in one desk or in one area so they can do their work. And so I feel like you've created a really innovative solution that allows them to still move and not to get these, all these downsides of sitting or standing. So can you talk more about what this is and how it works? Yeah, no. Um, so we had the idea that, um, you know, kids know what they need and what they need to do is to move, but the furniture that we've forced on them, um, doesn't allow that. It encourages them to slump and just motionless. So, you know, we designed a couple of chairs that let people move while they're sitting. But the idea of getting chairs into under 25 million school kids in the United States just seemed like it would be a, a very expensive proposition for schools that are always strapped for cash. I mean, they can't afford glitter for their preschoolers' art projects. So we had the idea that we would design a chair that we could give away. You know, it's, it's just we, we give away the design as a, um, a CNC router file, computer numeric controlled uh, uh, router. It's a, it's a machine that takes a piece of plywood and just like uh, stamps out pieces like a cookie cutter, only the pieces are big enough that um, you, you, they fit together and turn into a chair. And the, the, this chair has got like the, the joints designed into the pattern. So they just click together without screws or glues or anything. And for motion, we, we started out using a tennis ball as the thing between the seat and the, and the chair structure. But we found that kids were so active, they would wear holes in tennis balls. So we, we switched now to using lacrosse balls. Let's see them wear those out. Because these kids are so active, when you give them a chance, they just wear stuff out. So you know, merely by putting a chair under a kid that lets them move, they, you know, they instinctively move, but yet they can stay at their desk and, and stay uh, you know, scholastically engaged. And the spinoff is that uh, anecdotally, teachers report to us that kids are 
more focused because they can kind of get the wiggle out while they're sitting there listening or reading or writing or whatever the task is. It's And it kind of makes sense because we know that if you let people doodle while they listen to a lecture, they have better recall of what they heard in the lecture. By letting the body be active, the brain can kind of stay more engaged. Descartes got it wrong when he said the brain was just a computer sitting inside a bony box. You know, the brain is really part of the body. And if the, if the body is functioning normally and naturally and moving, the brain can be naturally more engaged. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is obviously true for adults as well. Um, so I know you have this stool for children, but you, is it possible to modify for adults to use also? Right. No. So we we sell we so we we created the files for this thing in two sizes because we we had the idea that uh, grownups were ultimately going to want to try them anyway. So we just um, you know one of the versions is 24 inches tall, so it's plenty big enough for most grownups to, tr- to try out. And then we found that grownups really like it. So uh, in fact, I'm sitting on one right now. You know, we, we we make other chairs that you know look more like office chairs and have the normal adjustments and upholstery and this and that and the other thing. But these uh, these plywood versions that you know use something as simple as a lacrosse ball really touch all the bases, and I like it a lot. So uh, and you know so many of my friends you know have these things, and um, and and we, we really like the idea because you know anybody can make one for themselves because you know we give them the pattern. Yeah, I love that. I love that you guys are not um, you know trying to turn this into a product and charge hundreds and hundreds of dollars for it. You're just trying to get people to improve their posture and sit more actively. Um, so for kids, obviously, I could see. I'm sure there's immediate noticeable changes, like you mentioned, in their ability to concentrate and just their overall comfort and happiness. What kind of changes do you see with adults when they start implementing this active sitting? Well, you know, that, that's really been kind of shocking. Um, you know, I had the idea that this would be good for people's biochemistry, and it would be a hard thing to get people to buy into because, you know, this weirdo chair that we're proposing, you know, will keep you from having a heart attack 20 or 30 years from now. Just, it's not a, it's not a powerful cell. But we notice that when you put people on an active chair, their posture gets better really within minutes, within about uh, 90 or 120 seconds, you know, their sternum comes up, their head comes back, the, the lumbar lordosis in their spine reasserts itself and shoulders relax. And really people get to very excellent posture. Very quickly, if you just let them sit on something that that requires that they continuously rebalance their posture, and so you know, that was the first thing was that when we were trying this out on 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 you know innocent people who were just walking down the street, we'd have a few of our chairs out on Church Street in Burlington and just invite people to try them out. And the, the thing we noticed was immediately their posture got better, and and people liked it because it was kind of fun, and so you know we we started. Um, you know, trying these things out in other places. And we, we dropped off a bunch of them at Burton Snowboards, which is a, a local uh, business that makes all the snowboards in the world, I think. And um, so they, 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 they took a dozen of them and then they called us up and said they wanted a dozen more. And when we, we went by to drop off a dozen more, it, it, somebody at the desk said, you know, you should meet Seth. He's a real fanboy. So ultimately we met Seth. And Seth was the head of IT at Burton Snowboards. Seth um, got one of our chairs, and uh, within days, his back pain problem was solved, and he, you know, he was just wildly enthusiastic and said, you know, we'd given him back his career. And you know, we just hadn't, we had anticipated that our chairs would help people with their posture, but I really hadn't anticipated just what a big help it could be to people with, with uh, garden variety back pain. 
garden variety back pain doesn't get much respect in the medical industry because you know nobody dies of it. Um, but it is an immense problem. You know, it affects 80% of Americans and costs $100 billion a year. That's right up there with the cost of cancer and heart disease. So, you know, back pain is, is an immense problem. And it turns out that active sitting, um, you know, can be a big help. Yeah, absolutely. That's, and I think probably adults, even though kids naturally just are great teachers in this and they want to move anyway, I feel like adults may actually see bigger benefit um, because I know so many people, even in my own life, who just have this like mild lower back pain and it's not horrible or debilitating, but it's really frustrating for them. And so to be able to have a solution that's simple, that also is going to hopefully reduce the risk of a heart attack down the road or also lead to these other changes, I think that's really amazing to be able to have. Right. No, it's it's hard for us to know, you know, where to begin telling the story because I think sitting actively actually provides all of these benefits. And it's and you know, just exactly how important each of these things is kind of depends on who you are and what your problem is. But people with really bad back pain, um, you know, they, they write us emails that are pages long about just how this has changed everything for them. It's, it's really pretty gratifying and it makes all the time we spent inventing this thing seem worthwhile. Absolutely. So I'd love to talk about kind of the differences around the world as well, because I've mentioned in a couple questions that I think a lot of these things are at least worse in the U.S., um, that our culture definitely, we just end up sitting a lot more. And I haven't been to Japan, but I've read a decent amount of how like in places like Japan, for instance, they are better about this or their culture has naturally built in better forms of sitting. Is that actually the case? And what can we learn from them? No, it's it's very interesting. I was I was giving a um, a series of lectures at a Feldenkrais conference in Washington D.C. and um, there was a a woman from Vietnam there who um, you know, said that you know told the story that you know when her family came to the United States as people immigrants you know they were they were taken in by a, um, a church in Milwaukee and provided with an apartment. So these people right out of Vietnam where they had been fishermen suddenly are in Milwaukee. So the, the, their sponsors were gonna come by and take them to dinner and here they were in their apartment and there was all of this weird furniture that they had never seen before because they, they were Vietnamese and had never seen Western furniture. So when their sponsors came to pick them up to take them out to dinner, they found them squatting on top of chairs and squatting on top of stools because the idea of sitting in a chair never occurred to them because the culture was built around the posture of squatting or sitting seiza on the floor or sitting cross-legged. But sitting in a chair was just something that wasn't part of their culture at all. And incidentally, you know, back pain is basically unknown in Vietnam. So the more the Western chair permeates uh, a culture, um, the worse that culture's problems with uh, back pain and, and sitting disease become. So um, the, the Western office chair is becoming the default chair, and with it, it's bringing a, a public health catastrophe. Wow, yeah, that makes so much sense. So let's talk about the biomechanics from both your experience as a surgeon and also a research epidemiologist. How does, for instance, sitting cross-leg or squatting differ? Is that considered an active form of being still? Like, is that um, How does that change our posture and our, all of those other things we've talked about compared to just sitting? Right. So when you're when you're sitting uh, cross-legged, you're responsible for the posture of your spine, and you require you know your internal and external oblique and your transversalis and your multifidus to all kind of position your spines so that you can sit upright. When you put someone in an office chair and they just slump backwards against the back of the chair, 
all their muscles go dark, and their posture really turns to the worst possible form. A very famous Tai Chi instructor once said, um, the back of your chair is for hanging your coat. If you feel like you need to lean against the back of your chair, you should go home and take a nap. And I think that's true. You know, the, 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 you put a back on a chair and you just invite people to assume the worst possible posture. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And that's such a good thing to think about. And just like I'm right now mixing between standing and sitting on a stool and, and then squatting, which is typically what I do when I podcast. But I'm curious, like, obviously these chairs, I think are a great place to start and such an easy switch to make. But are there any other ideas or recommendations you would have on how we could upgrade and optimize our offices, our homes, for me, like, and for a lot of homeschool moms listening, our kids' classrooms. So I'd love your take on all of this, for instance. I um, I feel like if I, the more I move in general, the better I feel. So I have a balance board that I'll stand on sometimes when I work. I have an inversion bench, and I'll try to do handstands every few hours just to get the blood flowing. Um, and then things like a yoga swing and a yoga mat just to be able to get into different positions and move whenever I take a break from working. But based on your research, are there ways that we can upgrade our environment like that? Or what other suggestions would you have? It sounds like you have like the world's perfect playground for working. That, that, I mean, all of, all of, all of, your, uh, all of your solutions are terrific. But um, you know, many people in a, in a standard cubicle wouldn't have room for half of your, half of your stuff. And so you know, if we're trying to get people down to you know, a, a manageable portfolio of things to sit on, you know, a chair that lets an active chair that lets them move while they're sitting is a is a good place to start. The business of squatting is such a terrific posture for humans in general, but unfortunately, almost uh, no Western adults are able to squat. All children can, of course, but they lose that ability because we simply don't use it. The hamstrings tighten, and and people just uh, kind of lose the ability to squat. It's a heavy lift to get it back, and I've, I've almost got it back myself, but um, it's, it, it's asking a lot of people to try and, be, try and get that posture back. So the business of merely changing posture as often as you can, get up, talk, walk while you're talking on the phone, walk to the water cooler as often as you can, sit on a chair that lets you move, and if your work environment lets you lie down and stretch or, or do handstands against the wall, that's so much for the better. I love that. Yeah. I think that's another thing. Obviously, um, we like people used to joke that like, and actually there was a study that's for a while that there were some metrics in which um, smokers were healthier than non-smokers and they confused all these doctors. And it was because they were at least walking every couple of hours to go outside. So they were getting outside, they were walking, they were moving, whereas non-smokers weren't. But the lesson we should take from that is obviously not to smoke, but that we should have some habit that every hour or two, we have a reason to get up. Maybe we're hydrated enough that, that we need to go to the restroom every two hours, or we're just going to go outside in the sun for five minutes, but just building that in as a habit rather than just sitting all day long. And there's so many other benefits to that as well. Well, you, well, you, could, you could take up smoking or you could get yourself a dog. And I think a dog is a much better choice. I like that. Yeah. We should all just get a puppy. That's a great idea. This podcast is brought to you by Wellness. That's wellness with an E on the end. It's a new company that I co-founded to tackle the toughest personal care products and to create natural and safe products that work as well as conventional alternatives. See, this is what happened. I realized that even the most naturally minded of my friends were still using certain conventional toothpaste and shampoo because they weren't willing to sacrifice quality. They just weren't willing to have teeth that weren't white or hair that wasn't clean. 
There are natural options out there, certainly, and there are conventional options that work really well. But to find products that do both was almost impossible. And thus, Wellness was born. I realized that there had to be a way to create the highest quality products that also worked as well as any conventional alternative. And we tackled the toughest first, creating the first and only natural toothpaste that is fluoride and glycerin free. It's based on my DIY recipe that I have been using for a decade. It contains calcium and hydroxyapatite to uniquely support the mineral balance in the mouth. It also contains things like neem oil and green tea to support a healthy bacterial balance and oral microbiome and to fight bad breath. You can be the first to try it for you and your family and to try our innovative natural hair care shampoo and conditioner at wellness.com. So again, it's wellness with an E on the end, W-E-L-L, N-E-S-S-E dot com. This podcast is sponsored by The Ready State. If you're at all like me, you might have perpetual stiffness and pain in your neck and shoulders from years of working, carrying kids, and all of the demands of parenting. Or maybe like me as well, also, you have sore hips from too much sitting or from several pregnancies. I have found a great way to relieve my aches and pains and to get some daily movement and improve my fitness and flexibility. And it's from someone I highly, highly respect, Dr. Kelly Starrett, and he's from The Ready State. If you don't know Kelly, you should. He is a mobility and movement coach for Olympic gold medalists, world champions, and pro athletes. He's the author of two New York Times bestselling books, including the famous Becoming a Supple Leopard, which has sold over half a million copies. He has over 150,000 hours of hands-on experience training athletes at the highest level, and he's a doctor of physical therapy who helps top companies, military organizations, and universities improve their wellness and resilience with their team members. So to say he's highly qualified would be the understatement of the century. He created a program called Virtual Mobility Coach. This program is easy to do from home every day, making it ideal for me and for a lot of moms, and it's something I can do with my kids. Every day, Virtual Mobility Coach gives you a fresh guided exercise video. They show you proven techniques to help your specific issues that you have going on. If you're in pain, you can pull up a picture of the human body, click on what hurts, and from there, the Virtual Mobility Coach will give you a customized prescription to help you find relief based on movement. Second, you can find a library of soothing recovery routines in the daily maintenance section. And these are great for just working in movement throughout the day or as a wind down to practice self-care. And third, for athletes, Virtual Mobility Coach has an entire section of pre and post exercise routines for more than four dozen sports and activities that help you warm up before a workout so that there's a lower risk of injury or recover after so that you are less stiff. Right now, you can try Virtual Mobility Coach totally risk-free for two weeks without paying a penny. After that, you can save 50% on your first three months. Just go to thereadystate.com forward slash wellnessmama and use the code wellnessmama, all one word, all uppercase at checkout. So again, that's the T-H-E, ready, R-E-A-D-Y, state, S-T-A-T-E.com forward slash wellnessmama. And you can save half off your first three months when you sign up for a monthly plan. You'll get personalized techniques to relieve nagging pain and to improve your fitness and flexibility. So again, check it out, thereadystate.com forward slash wellnessmama and sign up with the code wellnessmama. So I want to talk a little bit more about how we can actually get these chairs in schools and offices because I know that you guys have made these plans available and I would love to actually help this like this podcast be an impetus for creating change. And there's a lot of moms listening who have, of course, vested interest in our kids sitting in a, in a better posture and getting the benefits that we've talked about. So 
let's talk a, bit, a little bit more about the practical ways. I know that these have been used now in offices and schools. What's the best way for us as parents and as even just members of society to get these to schools? Yeah, so um, we have a, we've set up a website, buttonchairs.org. So B-U-T-T-O-N-C-H-I-R-S.org. And uh, it's a website that has some information about the, our button chair project, as well as um, the computer numeric control file. So you can set up a CNC router to make as many of these things as you want out of a sheet of plywood. We also have plans um, that were worked out by one of the shop teachers here in Essex, Vermont, so that if you don't have access to a CNC router, you can make these chairs one at a time. There's a pattern that you just glue on the plywood, cut it out, put it together, and uh, there's your there's your button chair. And we're also we're also partnering with a, a company in the in the northeast corner of Vermont to just make these things. We'll put them in a box and and sell them to people basically at cost. But the idea of you know if, if people don't have tools but want one of these chairs to try out, you know we'll put it in a box and send it to you. So we really think that the best way is for people to you know make them by the hundreds for their school system, but so people can try them out. We also have plans for making them one at a time with standard hand tools. Any idea how people would go about finding one of these large scale router machines in their area? Is this something that like uh, any kind of school would have or university or home improvement store? Where can people find those? So f- for a while, I was using the CNC router at our makerspace here in Burlington, Vermont, which is called the generator. But many, uh, many high schools have them now. Um, at, you know, they're just part of, of shop class these days. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, the modern way to, to cut wood. Um, so uh, almost any, you know, small to moderate sized city will have access to a CNC router someplace. I just, um, uh, just last week, I was um, in New Hampshire, uh, uh, in Lebanon, New Hampshire, uh, visiting a school system that had found a, a mill shop that had a CNC router. And the guy got so excited about the school's project that he donated the plywood and donated a CNC router to make a bunch of chairs for the school. So these, these uh, partnerships can arise, um, you know, quite organically when, you know, people have the machinery and are just eager to give back to the school system. Yeah, I think that's great. And I could see even if high schools, for instance, have these, a lot of high school students have to do service hours at a certain point, like this could be a great thing they could make for younger grades or for special needs students or for, um, you know, Montessori schools or universities, I think sometimes have these, or if there are Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts who are looking for a project that they could do these, I think this would be an amazing um, and it sounds like not super difficult thing that they could tackle that would make a big difference in their communities or even just parents like that example you gave who are willing to donate the materials for it. Um, I'd love to see this used more widely in schools. And I think like you've mentioned, we'd see some big behavioral changes if we could implement these more widely. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been fun to watch, you know, the, the community kind of embrace the idea and then embrace each other, you know, as a way to, to um, you know, support the school system by, you know, helping them make stuff. And, and, and the idea of high school students, you know, who have to do shop projects, well, finally they could have a shop project that actually produced something of use rather than just another cutting board. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm even thinking like this would be cool to not just in our, our schoolroom, but even in like a kitchen to change out for the chairs at the table. Because um, our family was actually thought about doing the Japanese style um, table, which just low on the ground sitting Indian style. But uh, we have a very energetic dog that would make that difficult right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, we have, we have these chairs all over the house, of course. And when, when, uh, guests come for dinner, they're all a little astonished that they're going to be sitting on something so weird. 
but uh, everybody adapts to it pretty quickly. And it's, it's sort of fun, actually. That was going to be my next question is I'm sure kids can adapt immediately because my kids will get on all these crazy like surf trainers or they get on skis or a surfboard for the first time and they learn it in 12 seconds. But for adults, is there much of an adjustment period or is it more really like you said, within even just a minute or two, you start to see the difference? Well, people's posture immediately responds. You can just, you can just see it really in front of your eyes. But um, many people will have very deconditioned core musculatures from, you know, in some cases, decades of just sitting slumped in front of a computer. And for those people, we say, you know, give it 15 or 20 minutes the first day and kind of work up from there. And depending on how deconditioned people are, sometimes it takes a, even a few weeks before people are sitting comfortably all day. But really, you know, we've got people who are in their 80s who sit on our, our chairs all day long and are delighted because... As one of these old guys said, you know, for the first time in my life, I've got a six pack. You know, it's just, this is very cool to hear an 83 year old say that. Wow, that's really drastic and probably appealing. I mean, certainly like core strength is something I've struggled with since having children, since my muscles have been uh, moved around so much. And it makes me think, I wonder, is this also really beneficial for pregnant women? Because when I was pregnant, I made an effort to sit on a big yoga ball because my midwife said, you know, it's much better for you if you're not just sitting and arching your lower back and that you want your pelvis open and you want your hips open and you want your posture good so that when it comes time to deliver the baby, everything's in the right position. So I was much more cognizant of that when I was pregnant, but I'm wondering if this would also really help a lot of pregnant women with some of those common complaints like sciatica and lower back pain and restless leg and just all those things that can also be a result of too much sitting, especially when you have increased blood flow like that. Yeah, no, we have, we have just a handful of women who've been through pregnancy, you know, kind of sitting on our chairs. And the, the early reports are very positive, but to actually do a research project, you need a lot of pregnant women and and a spreadsheet and a few other things. So we, we don't have scientific results, but, um, but we do have some pretty enthusiastic women. Squatting, of course, is a terrific posture to be practicing if you're getting ready to have children as well, um, if, if squatting is something that you can easily still do. For those of us who, because um, I'm with you, I'm almost back to being able to do a natural squat. But like you said, a lot of people, this is something we lose the ability to do, even though all of my children, as soon as they could start walking, I, that was the first thing I would notice is they can do a perfect squat and they can stay like that for a really long time. Um, and it's like everything. I tell my kids, don't lose the ability to do all these things you can do, the pull-ups, the handstands, the squatting. It's so much harder to get it back. But for those of us who are our adults who have lost the ability to do some of these things, do you have any tips for learning to get it back? I would guess just active sitting and better posture definitely is a step toward that. But are there other ways we can nurture these good movement patterns? Well, active sitting is a, is a long way there because you just have to make one change. You just have to take your Herman Miller Aeron chair and put it out in the garage and put an active chair under your desk. And then um, you, you get immense benefit really every minute that you're sitting every day. Other than that, um, you know, the, 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 the activities that appeal to you are the ones that you'll be able to continue. So if you love yoga, yoga is a terrific solution. But if you love martial arts, martial arts is a terrific way to, you know, stretch and condition and so on. And so, you know, I, I think you just have to follow your passion. But um, rather than rather than turn um, turn body maintenance into another task that you have to do every day, but the genius of active sitting is that you you don't you you get to do it every day, but you only have to decide to do it once by swapping out your chair. Yeah, exactly. I'm a, a big fan of these kind of like passive changes that make a big 
pay off. And I think this is an easy one. Like it's not like something you have to remember to go work out every day, or you have to remember to take supplements every day. It's something like you said, you do it one time and then you're good. And another example of that for me is I have something called a chili pad that goes under my um, sheet in my beds and it can heat or cool your bed. For me, I use it to cool my bed. It can go down to as low as 55 degrees. There's all this research showing that sleeping in a cooler environment is really beneficial, but it takes a lot of energy to cool the entire house to a lower temperature. So by putting this in my room and programming it, now I sleep at a cooler temperature. It burns fat. It does all these things, improves sleep, but I don't have to think about it anymore. So I'm I'm with you. I'm a huge fan of these one-time changes that can make lasting benefit, like have lasting benefits for our health. Um, so just another reason I love this and wanted to make sure I shared this with everyone listening today, because I think it's a low cost, easy change, like you said, that can make a huge difference, especially with we're seeing such rampant back problems and all these issues in our kids. And it's in, in, that one-time easy switch. Yeah, I, I like the idea of, of, of burning more fat in a colder environment. It, it, it turns out that Babies can't shiver. They just don't have the neurologic setup to do it. And yet they have a huge surface area and get cold easily. So in order to keep babies from dying of hypothermia, you know, they're, they come equipped with something called brown fat, which is a, a different texture and color of fat that's just in with the fat typically around the, the back of the child and maybe around the kidneys and some other places. And what it does is it just burns glucose and generates heat to keep the child warm. It's like a built-in space heater. It's, 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 it's a very cool workaround for, the, for keeping babies warm when they don't have the normal mechanism of shivering. But it, it was discovered um, that adults actually retain some brown fat, and it can even, um, it can even be induced to, um, to proliferate. So by exposing yourself to colder environments, like you know, finish your shower with a cold blast, you can induce your brown fat to, to uh, grow and prosper and burn calories for you. So it's another workaround to increase your overall body health just by you know, subjecting yourself to a colder environment. Like a shower is a very thing, a very easy thing to make cold if you're willing to do that. But it's a decision you have to make after every shower. Yeah, exactly. And I know one thing, an objection I commonly hear on things like this is people say, well, that's not a natural thing. Like we shouldn't have to go out of our way to do all of these things. And my response always is that never before have we faced so many of these negative inputs, like the idea of sitting for most of the day, or like the idea of being temperature controlled at all times. This was never available in human history until now. And because of all of these negative inputs from pollution, from our poor food supply, et cetera, we need to now be proactive at counteracting them. And so when it's small changes you can make that are not an effort every single day. That's the easy starting point to, to me, 80, 20 it, and then do the hard stuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, it's a, it's astonishing that the, you know, the, the, the vast intelligence of our species has been devoted to making our lives um, better um, in quotation marks, but really, you know, by having food constantly available and the temperature constantly controlled, um, it's, it's been a catastrophe for our biologic uh, life. And so, you know, trying to get back to our hunter-gatherer roots by, you know, at least experiencing cold occasionally or uh, experiencing motion constantly is a uh, essential part of being healthy in the 21st century. Exactly. And my take on it too is that I'm a big fan of kind of the Pareto principle, 80-20 rule. And I think you start with the biggest and easiest changes, like I said. So 
sleep is something we all do every single day. Optimize your sleep environment. That's an easy change you can make that has big dividends. Then we're all sitting so much. If you can optimize the way that you're sitting and optimize your posture, that has a big payoff. Same thing with like food. We Most of us eat every single day or unless we're fasting. So optimize your food situation, but then also occasionally mix it up and fast or do something different and work on that metabolic flexibility. But because we live in a time when all of these things are always available, we have to be a little bit more intentional, like you said, about mixing it up and keeping our body in its optimal state. So I love that you are making this possible with this active sitting, even from kids from a young age. I think that's such a gift to them. And I love that you have just open sourced it and made it available to all of us. Well, um, you know, it's, it's, um, I'm not going to have another idea this good. So um, it's extremely exciting for me to have so many people embrace it. And you too. It's terrific to be on your show. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me. I, of course, will link to uh, all the things that we've talked about today in the show notes at wellnessmama.fm. So if you guys are listening while hopefully doing an activity or moving or especially driving, don't worry about writing them down when you're driving. Just go check out the show notes, wellnessmama.fm, and you'll have a link to where you can download the plans for these chairs and learn more about how they work, as well as to some of Dr. Osler's research and writing and work that I've found. Um, but just for people listening, Dr. Osler, where can they find you and continue learning? So um, we have a website, qor360.com, that has a blog and, and uh, you know other stuff. And I did a TED Talk, I don't know, about eight or nine months ago on the whole button chair project of, of making chairs free for schools. If you were to Google TED uh, X and Osler, uh, you'd find my TED Talk pretty quickly. Awesome. I will, like I said, I'll make sure all of those are linked in the show notes. And for all of you guys who are listening, who are parents or educators, I think this is a really cool thing we can do for our kids and our schools. And so I hope that you will check it out and see if it's something that you can implement. Um, but and I also hope that this episode has raised awareness for all of us just on little changes we can make to begin moving more day to day without having to run a marathon or do anything extreme. Um, but just those little movements that can let us have you know, six pack abs when we're 80 years old. So again, Dr. Osler, thank you for your work and for making this available and for your time today. And I am really grateful that you were here. Thanks so much, Katie. It was fun. And thanks to all of you for listening, for sharing your valuable asset, your time with us today. We're both so grateful that you did. And I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.